In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Happy December, and welcome to Notably Disney. On this episode, I am bringing you a conversation with composer Henry Jackman of Walt Disney Animation Studios' Strange World. It is an enveloping, super intriguing, mysterious, emotional score that I think is a wonderful addition to his library of work for Walt Disney Animation Studios, uh, having composed Winnie the Pooh, Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, and Ralph Breaks the Internet. He's also provided the scores for several Marvel films, including Captain America Civil War. Love that one. And it is just a wonderful time with Henry as we learn more about his career, what he contributed to the flavor of Strange World, and even a little hint of what's on the horizon. So let's get right into my conversation with Henry Jackman. So I'm really pleased to be talking with today the composer of Walt Disney Animation Studios' newest film, Strange World. Uh, it is composer Henry Jackman, whose work I've listened to a lot over the years, and uh, some of those tracks are, are etched in my memory in all the best ways. Um, Big Hero 6 and Wreck-It Ralph, among many others. Uh, such a pleasure to have you here, Henry, as we talk about Strange World and your, your career more broadly. Well, thanks very much for having me. Well, I'd love for you to begin by perhaps orienting listeners to how you broke into the film score scene. I know uh, Hans Zimmer has been a mentor of yours, someone you've worked with over the years, um, including on uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Can you can you provide listeners with a little bit of background into how you entered our our uh, familiarity uh, amidst yeah. all these scores? Well, probably by the oddest route. I rewind to give you the quickest potted history i actually had a really classical upbringing and went to one of those great cathedral uh, i went to st paul's cathedral choir school so i you know aged eight i was wearing an elizabethan ruff and singing palestrina and talus and all that sort of thing so all the way up to sort of 18 it looked like the strictest kind of classical musical education then i went completely off the rails 
bought a home computer and a tiny sampler and started making all kinds of um you know what was then called rave and dance music drum and bass and whatnot probably to the great distress of my parents having had all this you know classical education the one thing i never thought about for ages was film music i then went into the record industry was lucky enough to work with trevor horn and all, all kinds of characters learned and did you know i worked in pop music i worked in you know um a lot of electronica did a lot of drum and bass all kinds of stuff and i never really thought about film music for whatever reason um in my head it was something that you know you know what it's like when you're in your sort of 20s you think it's you know you're too cool for school certainly i did you know i thought i was cool um because i was knocking out all these i remember my father saying listen you're not going to want to do drum and bass for your whole life and with all this musical education you got to put it somewhere i was like oh you know you don't know what you're talking about um and i think somewhere i was well i think i was just after i finished working with seal in the kind of early 2000s those prophetic words just began to have an impact where however i mean i was lucky very lucky in the sort of people i was working with in the record industry that it was sort of, sort of higher end you know it was the artier end of things um, but I just began to get a little bit bored with things being three minutes, 30 seconds, and usually having one of, you know, seven or eight chords. And not, and that's not me knocking. I love really good pop music and really good electronica. But something, I don't know, I, I was just getting a bit frustrated. And I ended up doing this weird album of my own called Transfiguration, which was, I guess, my pitiful attempt to be as creative as... I was very influenced by an album in the early 2000s. It might have even been late. 90s by Bjork called Vespertine, which is a very beautiful album that combined pretty radical electronica, but also really lush string arrangements and choir. And I just thought it was this very interesting. Um, so I, I did this album where I took famous classical pieces like uh, Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, for example, and did radical remixes of them and for my own entertainment, really. And somehow or other, uh, and so at this point, I'm not, th not thinking about film music at all, but I guess they were kind of filming. They were sort of epic, but they were song. It was like pop music gone really weird with electronic influence, but with big orchestrations and messed up beats and whatnot. Anyway, Hans got to hear one of these tracks and went, who's this? This, sound, I, this doesn't sound like anything I've heard in particular. And, that, and I think, so my point of entry was a really lucky one where I kind of went into a rabbit hole and just did something I thought was really interesting and stimulating musically. And by... Uh, a, a huge turn of fortune Hans got to hear it and recognized that it was not um something he'd heard before and was therefore interested to meet me because of course many um film apprenticeships into film music are of a more traditional kind where you start working at a studio and you know god knows you're probably making the coffee first and, and then you know like within the film system but I, I guess I came out of nowhere because it was you know at that point I wasn't when I met Hans he was like what are you doing in the record industry it's a complete waste of time I was like what <laughs> so you should do film music and I, I I don't think I've ever had such a sort of mental turnaround because I've been so frustrated for so long musically because I felt like I had not that I, I thought I was particularly amazing or anything, but I did feel like I had this toolbox full of all these different paints because I'd had to be involved in all sorts of music from, like I say, Talis, Palestrina, Penderecki, Wagner, Strauss, and then all sorts of, you know, British electronica. And there were all these influences, but that I couldn't really use them all in any way. And as soon as I started getting involved, even in the most uh, minor and apprentice-like fashion with hands, I suddenly realized the genius of the great thing about film music 
is because of the nature of storytelling and the films could be anything. Films could be set in the 16th century in France. They could be set in the 23rd century in space. They might need electronica. They might need huge orchestra. You know, it could be could be anything. Suddenly, it all made sense. I was like, now I don't feel like a musical schizophrenic because I happen to know. Because when you work in the record industry, you might meet people who know a lot about 17th century church music, but they tend not to be the same people who are into banging beats. And the kind of DJs you hang out with tend to know absolutely nothing about European classical art music. So it's a bit frustrating when you are comfortable with all of it, but can't find a home for any of it. And so after a very long chat with Hans, where he was deeply encouraging about immediately abandoning the record industry, which is a very poor place to dump any of these skills, he's like, film music is the perfect place to do it because storytelling might need any, all or none of the above. Um, so that's a very, I, I don't feel like that was a particularly structured <laughs> history of it. But uh, I really have hands to thank for because when I'd written that album, Transfiguration, I wasn't even thinking about film music. It took someone else to go, you're in the wrong game. You know, you need to do something else. Um, so that was my slightly odd angle into this world of, uh, of film music. Well, it, it seems like that many great composers are those who have both classical backgrounds, but also that versatility in terms of how they can channel that expertise, those experiences across a, a number of different genres. And, and I see that in your work too, especially when you're talking about that, uh, that electronic component uh, as well. I, I'm wondering, Henry, so over the past 11 years, you've composed, if I'm not mistaken, five films for Walt Disney Animation Studios, Winnie the Pooh, Wreck-It Ralph, uh, Big Hero 6, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and now Strange World. Exactly, yeah. That's impressive. So I, I'm wondering... What? How do you process it? I, I certainly want to go into the nuances of your projects, but but considering you're you're someone who's now tethered to composing work for multiple Disney animated films, what does that mean for you to have the opportunity to be associated with these major projects? Same goes for your work for Marvel as well. But how do you process that? Like in terms of the emotion and significance of that. That's a very good question, and one that I don't have an immediate answer to, and that I feel like I increasingly will have an answer to, because one of the um, one of the characteristics of the endeavor of film score is it is quite titanic. You know, it's not six minutes; it's anything from eighty to one hundred and ten. And if, as has been the case in my career, there have not been long gaps between projects, your number one priority is finishing up a movie and then going straight into the next one and making sure that you give absolutely everything you've got to understanding the movie, what it's about, collaborating with the directors and trying to write the best possible music that will elevate and be appropriate and inspire and, you know, have your own identity to it. And in the um, succession of in individual efforts, all of which, uh, to me, Titanic, I never feel complacent about film school. I always feel like, uh, to be engaged in in writing score for any movie is a poetic and operatic task and it's you know it's not a little it's not a piece of chamber music you know if you're a classical composer it would be like non-stop back-to-back operas with no little divertimenti in between as a result of the sort of incessant and I'm not complaining I mean I'm so lucky um the very perceptive question or intriguing question you've asked about the you know zooming back from it all 
what does it feel like? I, I've, I guess I've only just started to think about it. Now, the obvious thing to say, which is true, is it's a huge privilege. Uh, but you know, when I did Winnie the Pooh, that was a fantastic opportunity, and I just focused on that. And then the the particular musical requirements of Wreck It Ralph was so unique, you know, because it had to be. It was there, of course there's use of symphony orchestra in Wreck It Ralph, particularly as the movie progresses. By the time you get to the third act, there are some very big dramatic cues. But as we all know, it also has this unique um, sonic world, which of course corresponds to the fact that it's such a unique. Uh, world with the whole eight bit, the arcade, you know, the conceit of the characters that sort of have their own world behind the arcade games gave rise to a whole kind of eight bit Namco uh, musical vocabulary and a sort of a lot of synth, a lot of electronica and whatnot. And so there are so many aesthetic concerns and concerns of like compositional discipline and storytelling and whatnot for each of these projects that to then step back and you know hover over it from thirty-eight thousand feet like you're flying over on an airplane and think about it as as a whole sequence of engagements is a really interesting thing that quite frankly i it's a really good question because i haven't um i haven't really thought of it like that because very often what happens is because of course they're not back to back very often what happens is i'll work on something like wreck it ralph and then be plunged into some sort of Joe and Anthony Russo contemporary carnage that's very often the exact opposite. And, you know, so I leave that world for a bit and then I'll come back to that world. And so it doesn't, the 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 consistency of the lineage as you've laid out, it doesn't feel like that from a composing point of view because I'm doing other things. But I mean, the real headline, you'd I'd have to pinch myself. If you, if you, um, you know, came back in time and bumped into me in some bar or some club in London where I was busy being too cool for school with my puffer jacket on, you know, jumping up and down to drum and bass. I went, just to let you know, you're going to do a sequence of Disney animated films and Marvel uh, live action films. I would have laughed at you, I think, um, and said, yeah, right. I don't, you know, I, I very much doubt it. So, um, it's a combination of, it couldn't be more real because as these, projects come I really just engage with almost every atom of my being but then it's a sort of paradoxical thing because at the same time you have to pinch yourself that any of it's true in the first place <laughs> so it's sort of two competing uh ideas but it's a very interesting question that um you're you're I I almost think others would be in a better position to judge than me because you it may change you know if I manage to get a bit more space between projects to reflect <laughs> To reflect a bit more i might have a slightly uh more prepared or coherent answer but that's about the most honest answer i could give right now that's quite all right i i can see how you're entrenched in it but also because you are working on so many projects in between that it perhaps uh provides a you know a different perspective and i think you know the way i view it in terms of eras like the 1990s was defined by you know the disney musicals and alan Menken's scores and really mm -hmm. this newer renaissance which kicked off with princess and the frog and tangled and consequently uh, subsequently your films i mean you are definitely a, a fixture in that space and as i was watching strange world and listening to the score last week i'm thinking to myself there's so many moments listening to this that it it has a it has a jackman quality to it in terms of some of the cues and some of the moments i'm like that that feels like it has a little taste of big hero six or a little taste of uh, another project but I, I'm wondering, you know, I was I was enveloped by Strange World. I know, unfortunately, right now, like not as many folks are are seeing it as perhaps the studio 
had had wanted, but I mean, I found it to be very uh, just captivating. And for your score, you know, it was exhilarating and poignant, but also as the narrative uh, called for, very unconventional. Uh, and I'm curious in terms of your development of the score to draw on uh, instruments and arrangements that really capture the oddness of this very hard to describe environment. What was that like for you? Well, that's another good question. And the, funnily enough, you're absolutely right. There, there is some form of a better word, esoteric and flamboyant orchestration as we enter that new world. Um, but I think perhaps even more fundamentally than the colors and the orchestration, some of the mysterioso quality of Strange World, that kind of otherliness, might derive even more from the actual choice of harmony and the melody and whatnot. Um, I think I was just finishing Grey Man and I knew I was coming on to this movie. And something I increasingly do is before getting into this musical specifics and the structural specifics of, you know, the individual cues, write a piece, you know, away from picture, as if it were going to be performed at the Disney concert hall, you know, something that has to stand on its own two feet in a sort of overture form, you know. So I thought, well, why don't I write a strange world overture? Because I've known Don, I've known Don since Winnie the Pooh. I've been talking lots to Queen. You know, we got a great collaborative relationship. These are the sort of imaginative directors who, who don't panic when they don't see a piece of music to picture. They've got imagination. I, there, there will be no difficulty in me playing them a piece of music and going, this is my idea of strange world. And I've no doubt that if they hate it, they'll be very uh, vocal in letting me know. And if they like it, or feel some inspiration from it, they will equally be articulate about it. So just as I just came up with this little arpeggio idea, I think I was noodling around on the piano and I came up with a series of arpeggios that I just kind of instinctively felt my way around. And, it, and I quickly recorded it into my iPhone. It was only the next day when I was going through them, going, okay, right, so that's like an A flat over C with a sharp four. And then, like, oh, what's that? Well, hang on, is that, is that, what's that E major? I guess that's an E major over C. And then, hang on, what's the what what's this this f you know i didn't quite know what it it took me a little while to figure out what it is that i, I knew that it had uh, this otherly and i knew not quite atonal but um very much not diatonic and safe harmony it was definitely some unusual harmony going on it, <clears throat> but it took me i sort of got there by instinct and then spent the next day trying to uncover what it is that i'd done and i kind of got it into the sequencer and developed this whole uh, it started with the arpe if you listen to the soundtrack the track quite late on in the soundtrack called Strange World Overture is this exact piece I'm talking about way before the movie, completely away from picture, just an overture, you know, on its own. And it features the very first thing you hear in that piece is the arpeggio. Then you hear like a counter theme and the whole thing, you know, develops and grows and gets bigger and bigger. So I wrote that. And so the chords used in that piece are quite esoteric. And so it therefore dictates that the melody has to be somewhat esoteric because it has to fit these like rather unusual chords. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I've disappeared down a musical rabbit hole here, but you know, let, let's play it to Don and Queen. So I played it to them and they said, oh, we love it. it. It's exactly what we imagine the unusual, it's sort of half uplifting, it's mysterious, it's a bit unsettling. It's sort of, it has a lot of different, it's sweeping, but not safe, you know. I, anyway, I was hugely relieved to the reaction um, that I got to it. So, that process having occurred, it meant that I had a piece of music that had a specific harmonic framework, a specific melody, a specific counter melody, a specific um, 
orchestrational style. It even had like a tiny sneaky bit of electronica in there as the arpeggios were doubled with synths and the choir was doubled with this sort of, you know, plug-in choir at the same time. So it was a bit like, um, I know no cues have been written, but here I had a DNA package that contained not one, but sort of six secret things. <clears throat> had an orchestrational style and all the leitmotifs so that then when you get to the Strange World cues, you can start to plunder these ideas, ideas that you already know in your collaboration with the directors, they've become very inspired by. Um, so I went on a fairly disciplined, almost sort of leitmotif exercise in that it, most cues that relate to Strange World uh, are it is some kind of permutation. If you listen to that Strange World Overture and you're in a kind of musicological mood, you'll find that almost anything in the movie relating to Strange World is some inversion, permutation, diminution, or recontextualization of something that appears in that, even though that sweet's, I don't know, like three minutes, 30 seconds. For example, splat, right? So in the original Strange World sweeping version, you know, it goes la da da dee da. Yeah, dee, da, da, da. And so Spat goes bum 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 bum. It's the same thing. It's just now it's vibraphone, xylophone, pizzicato, and it's massively speeded up into quavers and semi-quavers, and the grammar's changed and whatnot. But it's all, you know, if you're a mad scientist, almost all the musical cues for Strange World are a version of sort of sticking a syringe in the overture, sucking something out of it, putting it in a petri dish, reorganizing it all, and then kind of reassembling it. Uh, and that I found hugely satisfying because, I mean, I'm, the way I'm talking about it sounds like some arid intellectual exercise, but it's not. It's hugely fun. It's like it's a bit like Lego. So we've got I don't want to just have I don't like it when you have, you know, even if music is well written in a score, I don't like it when it doesn't pertain to anything. You know, you ought to have the intellectual honesty to go. If you've got a strange world theme with all these different light motifs, you should be able to make stuff out of it like Lego. Um, and so that was a hugely, and of course there are the themes, there was a, the song turned, the song at the beginning of the movie got deconstructed and turned into the big orchestral adventure theme that ran through the movie. That's another example of the kind of consistency that's nice. Instead of having a song that you hear for one minute and 10 seconds and you never hear it again, that DNA is then pushed all the way through the movie, you know. Um, so the strange world, I guess the strange world secret was a combination of a, a, a sort of virtuoso orchestration with a few of those magical colors you might expect, you know, like celeste and choir, but with a few sneaky synth additions. But more than anything, it's that if you were to analyze that piece, Strange World, the overture, and try and figure out what's going on with the melody and the harmony, you know, it's you're not, you might not be able to do it in the first 15 seconds as you scratch your head going, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> what, what are these chords? Mind you, as you've described, being a very knowledgeable uh, person, you'd probably nail it very quickly. But my point being that a lot of that otherliness derives from the underlying composition as much as it does, you know, the the color. Yeah, and I'm, I appreciate you pointed out how certain themes or, or cues were reinvented across different points in the score, because I feel like as a, as a viewer, as a listener, it creates that thread line where it feels consistent, even though you're spinning it a little bit in, in each iteration. And I think that was what was really satisfying, especially with the, the Meet the Clades theme. Like, like I, it's easily hummable because I heard it in, in multiple contexts and, but, but in different ways. So. Right. And the thing is, I always think you should kind of aim high. There's a tendency since the world got took over by 
advertising <laughs> to to sort of aim low as in you know here we are discussing the kind of leitmotif mechanics of of how a school works and the truth is of course your average audience viewer quite rightly shouldn't be having these thoughts they should just be enjoying the movie having said that even if you don't have a specific interest in this field I bet I'm not quite even sure what sort of cultural or neurological test would have to be involved. I guarantee, I really strongly believe that without even knowing the mechanics of what we're talking about, you feel in an instinctive way the, I can't remember what word you used. Was it consistency? There's some, yes. you can, yes, you can tell without getting into the details of it, the satisfaction of it, the fact that it's cut from a certain cloth. You don't even need to know why or how. It just, a bit like, I don't know, there's lots of things I don't know much about, but I bet you I could discern a better version versus a not so good version without even knowing quite why, uh, you know, if it was interior design or I don't know, a suspension bridge or something. I'd, something I don't know anything about necessarily. But that's not to say that you should never underestimate audiences. You don't need a specific technical knowledge to have what I would call more like an aesthetic awareness where you're just capable of almost subconsciously enjoying something without needing to get in a, into a long-winded conversation of exactly how it was put together you know um i have no idea how to build a swiss watch and i'm you know and i'm sure that's an extremely uh, convoluted process but uh, you know we all we all you know we all know what a watch looks like when it works without having to know about how all the cogs are put together yeah well in terms of just the, the the score feeling very cohesive when my partner and i were watching the film listening to the score um, and his backgrounds in, in music, we, we felt it really paid homage to epic Hollywood adventure blockbusters of the 70s and 80s. There was a lot of fanfare like brass and soaring strings and pulsating percussion, but also with, you know, the synth work, the, the unique elements that I, I think are, are very much associated with with you as a composer too and that versatility. Uh, we're, we were kind of wondering, did fil did films of 30, 40 years ago, science fiction, fantasy, other flavors inspire certain directions you took with the score. I feel like as a listener, at least that there's originality, but there's also this tradition of, of just a, just a grand or orchestral score, symphonic oh, score. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, like, as you mentioned before, one of the reasons I'm hugely lucky is I get these very wide ranging projects that have completely different needs. So one of my pitches, which in fact I hardly needed to pitch because Don and Quee were, if anything, ahead of me in, in you know, having this idea uh, for music. One of the features of An Empire Strikes Back or, an, or, or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or a Jurassic Park is the leitmotif narrative use of music that's not afraid to be invasive. Uh, invasive sounds like a pejorative word, but meaning... Uh, there are other kinds of filmmaking, of course, where that would be a complete disaster. You know, if if, if you're doing Captain Phillips or, or or some movie like that, which is has an almost documentary level of realism, nothing would be more inappropriate than uh, light mo motifs flying all over the place and grand sweeping things, right? So you have to save your powder. So the, one of the reasons I was so excited about Strange World is it's it was the sort of perfect storm of all these sort of... Um, uh, aesthetic elements calling for that kind of score. You've got a, a bit like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Journey to the Centre of the Earth or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You've got a family adventure 
that requires its protagonist to go to a never-before-seen world. Now, as soon as you get never-before-seen world, this is fantastic news for a film composer, depending on the kind of filmmaker. You know, if, if it was a sort of weird cerebral thing set in deep space where everyone's losing their mind, that would be, you know, a very different thing. But in the context of a Disney animated film, this uh, is is almost demanding that you that you uh, whilst keeping all your originality understand the heritage of what that represents you're you're in a you know you, you conversations were had quite early on about how we love movies like empire strikes back and you know and there's a reason they feel a certain way and there's also a reason it's not just it would be tempting just to go oh well it's nostalgia isn't it it's because these are movies for people of a certain age that, that remind them of their childhood but there's also some structural things to think about, which is the way they operate. If you listen to those scores, it's the fact that having established its themes, those are used without um, hesitation to double down on narrative ideas. It's not, uh, there's nothing coincidental about it. And that that almost ties into sort of Straussian tone poem type structure or opera, where if you if you're coherent enough about the musical ideas you've got, as well as watching the film and as well as the, you know, more, I would say pedestrian, but of course I would say pedestrian dialogue, you've got a second layer of narrative where you're explaining what's happening all over again, only with the music and it's all happening at once. Now, that is not a type of filmmaking that is appropriate, you know, obviously for all films and would be a disaster in other kinds of filmmaking, but this was a great opportunity to call to mind uh, those great, and you know, and it's not just John Williams. James Horner has the late great James Horner has written James Newton Howard. The you know there are uh, scores of the past that where, and also it, it's not a, it's a type of filmmaking that doesn't appear all the time. When you mentioned eighties and nineties, I was lucky enough to do Jumanji, which has again allows you to have that um, sincere. I think that's the word I'm looking for because there's a lot of, I don't know. I guess the word would be. It's difficult to make a film like Strange World or, say, a Jumanji without pastiche. You know, it's the it's the combination. You don't want to get into something feeling, you know, over nostalgic like it's a device. You need that honest sense of adventure, action, and fun. And 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 the same applies to the music. You have, you know, it, it's it's finding that musical voice where you can support that type of action adventure and use some of these you know historical there's an element of tradition to it you know and it's it's uh, it's a very difficult thing to put your finger on but we you know had these in our collaborative talks and in all the meetings you know we would infuse about why we liked those movies and why we liked those scores so um yeah i'm not remotely offended by you know any sentence where where anyone says oh it sounds a little bit like that sort of era i take as a huge compliment um and and it's uh, the overarching the, the real point about that is it's something that the filmmaking itself asked for you know i would never you know think of imposing a musical idea for my own like musical gratification on a film that couldn't bear it or was in any way adversely affected by the proposition you know and this was just and you could see it forget about the music if you just watched the movie down or read the script you could feel that the influence of classics like Journey to the Center of the Earth. And it, it's in the DNA uh, of the actual script and the story. Um, and so I guess it was only inevitable that the 
you know, the musical influence influences that correspond with that sort of uh, filmmaking heritage also came into play, which I was extremely happy about because you don't get to do it that often, you know. No, and it's very satisfying for a viewer uh, as well. You know, I was thinking of one of your tracks in Strange World is The Descent, and I felt like you mentioned 20,000 Leagues earlier. I Like that kind of immediately surfaced for me. Also, you said James Newton Howard. I was thinking about some of his earlier work for Disney, like Atlantis. And it, Oh, yeah, Atlantis. Great, great score. It, it all just felt so apt, Henry. And then there's a track like Flight of the Poot Pickles, which was <laughs> so, I, I, I had to look it up. Like, I'm like, what are these creatures? What is this actually about? But it has like, is it fair to say that it's like waltz? Is that oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. for the for the more nerdy musicologist types out there, um, uh, you know, earlier I alluded to the fact that there should be no musical cheating and that, that things should be derived from the musical world of Strange World. Again, if you listen to that Strange World Overture, which of course expresses the theme in much longer phrases. Um, da, 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 dee, da. Guess what? The waltz is da 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 dee da, boom, jump, jump, da, dee, da. It's basically playing down the Strange World tune, only now with a sort of Blue Danube uh, approach even the, like the intro to it has that teasing horn line that slightly calls to mind the intro of Blue Danube and then because uh, Don and Quee had this great idea listen instead of playing this sequence like Jeopardy wouldn't it be more fun as the as the as the ship has to pass through the you know the sort of lake of crazy acid since we know thanks to those poop pickles that are sort of supporting it that there isn't any real danger we should make it a set piece you know, they roll around a bit, but it's not really a Jeopardy cue. It's really, we should have fun with this and make it a set piece. So it wasn't long before I was going, well, what about, you know, and I just went to the piano and started playing. Hang on, if I just use all the same chord, let me do the Blue Danube remix of the Strange World Overture. And I think that's what we need because uh, it'll have a bit of a nod and a wink to it. And it'll also have that consistency that it is actually just the Strange World. It contains the Strange World main melody and the counter theme and everything. It's just now it's in a kind of, Ostrophy is kind of a Johann Strauss version. Um, so you're exactly right. That that is uh it is very much the waltz version of the Strange World theme. It's just it's so so entertaining. And um, you know, I just I feel your 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 energy and your enthusiasm for the work that you create and, and in collaboration with other folks, it, it's so palpable and it makes me wonder for amongst the different projects that you've created for the Disney animation studios over the years, do you have any favorite tracks that you've composed? And, and if so, why? I mean, I have my favorite tracks and I can just gush on, but I'm, I'm curious about, uh, well, you know, it me. depends. It depends what day you catch me on, you know, it's the, when, th when I'm in a mood of orchestral indulgence, you know, it may very well be something. I mean, I would, perhaps think that Strange World might have some of the most uh, grand and virtuosic um, symphonic stuff. So I guess, um, you know what, the, the the Strange World Overture I love and uh, the, what, the, what, the, the Attack of the Reapers is another great one. But then you see, it depends what mode I'm in because then, uh, you know, there are some of those Wreck-It Ralph tracks, like the internet, for example,
that's miles away from that. You know, it's oh my like gosh, a 50... I love that so much. <laughs> right, it's a 50-50 hybrid where it's got a bit of a tease at the front and then it's got all these synths going on to me ages to put together. And then when they burst through, it's got sort of huge orchestration on top of the, you know, that's a lot of fun. That, that's sort of a key. Yeah, I think the, the internet I spent a, a ludicrous amount of time on. Um, but then, yes, You're My Hero is another one that's nice from from the first Wreck-It Ralph movie. It honestly depends. It depends what mood I'm in, really. Um, and But the truth is, I really do try to give everything equal love, you know, when you're writing it. It's just that certain scenes are so heightened or there's such set piece scenes that inevitably the piece that accompanies it ends up being a more, you know, um, uh, prestigious piece, as it were. But I really... I. I really try to take the attitude that every piece, once it, once you've determined a cue is needed, even if it's one of those little unsung hero type cues that no one will ever notice, you've really got to try and figure out why you're writing it and how you can elevate and affect the film. It's just that obviously when you get to the crunch, you know, often the emotional crunch of a film, like, well, another good example, the breakup cue, um, you know, when uh, Ralph starts smashing Penelope's, um car i mean it's heartbreaking that that's another one that i can instantly call to mind um but yeah i tend <laughs> i tend not to think i'm such a sort of perfectionist which is a terrible uh and unimaginative trait to have that um if you listen to things you've done you tend to notice the six things that could have been slightly better <laughs> but um yeah those are a few uh off the top of my head that uh, are, you know, are definitely enjoyable. And the, the sort of things that you might want to listen to away from the movie tend to be those big set pieces, you know, like in Ralph Breaks the Internet, a piece like the internet, it sort of tells its own story within the piece. You know, you can sort of pull it away from picture and it kind of just about stands up as a piece. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of any. I feel like if I mention any others, uh, I'll, I'll be unfair to the pieces I, I haven't highlighted. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, such as the challenge of someone who's, uh, you know, responsible for for so much work. I mean, I absolutely love the internet. That's my favorite track from the whole soundtrack. I, I also want to touch on Ralph Breaks the Internet for a moment before we wrap up, because you had the unique opportunity to draw on music from other Disney animated films because of the integration of the princesses. Oh, that's right. That was normally... There's only been two times in my career. Normally, if ever, like, for example, with X-Men, I was not interested in anything other than, not from an egotistical point of view, Matthew Vaughan was doing such a different thing. I was not interested in any previous type of X-Men material that had appeared in other movies. And generally speaking, most artists, if you're asked to do something, want to create their own world, right? So very rarely am I particularly infused by, oh, can we integrate this or that or the other from some other thing? The two exceptions to that is I set out um, in the Predator movie I did to pay great homage to Alan Silvestri and make sure the themes I'd written interlocked with his so that I could also use his themes. The second example uh, uh, of Far From Being Irritated, it was a great celebration in Wreck-It Ralph 2. Actually, it wasn't just that. There was also the Stormtrooper. There was a little, uh, yes. you know, there's an Empire Strikes Back. Uh, there's a really geeky thing I must mention on that. One of my greatest... Um, pleasures of empire strikes back uh is the and i don't know how geeky to get in this discussion but i love the composer respighi and uh, one of the great things about respighi is he does all these 
crazy harmonic dissolves where it doesn't sound unpleasant to listen to, but it's extremely complex what's happening harmonically. And, and you sometimes end up in the suspended <clears throat> space where you kind of don't know where you are, but it's beautiful. It's a bit like someone pulling the a ladder from under your feet harmonically and yet and somehow you're still floating you haven't crashed to earth and you're just suspended in this kind of weird beauty but you don't know what you're standing on um in empire strikes back uh after the credits come up and after you get the final build and then there's this mad harmonic dissolve that just goes into a sort of storytelling stravinsky-esque like oh behold you know the story begins as you see the um imperial ship come by and it's just it's uh, it's a respigi levels it's a concert music levels of harmonic greatness what's going on there and so my pitch was we couldn't be that mysterious there was you know it builds and goes and instead of going to that crazy it then it then delivers into the princess the princess it was like such a geeky in joke but anyone who uh is interested would get a kick out of the fact that instead of going to the kind of stravinsky s dissolve that begins the whole of the epic star wars thing it has exactly the same build only lands goes smashes straight into the sort of disney uh princess dna and then of course at the end there's a there's a medley you know, that. it's literally like okay how many can be the exercise here is how many can be squeezed into i can't remember what it was a minute and 50 seconds or whatever it was calling on all the heritage so that's that's like a privilege to be able to do that and it's fun it's a different it's one thing if you're trying to write a score and some producer or directors like, oh you know maybe we could use the theme from some other version which would be invasive and have an overall effect on the score the great thing in in um uh, you know from the point of view of it as an artistic project the great thing in uh, wreck it ralph to rap breaks the internet is it's it's a set piece moment you know it's not something that affects the whole score it's like let's have fun uh and of course we've got all these princesses so there's no excuse we've got to like pack it all in and see how elegantly can all be put together so it doesn't feel like a sandwich where someone's put 16 different kinds of meat all in between two sesame buns uh so that in itself is a great challenge but equally pleasurable was the honor of quoting uh, John Williams in, you know, when Penelope's being chased by stormtroopers and delivering his classic build into a Disney princess motif rather than an imperial uh, uh, ship. But uh, yeah, sorry to waffle on, but in all honesty, if anyone, if ever you think you've written something with a certain amount of harmonic sophistication, just listen to the end of the opening credits as they roll up for Empire Strikes Back. And then all, then the dissolve into then what happens, and all of the material after that is at a concert level uh, of greatness. That sort of it's like a cross between Stravinsky and Respighi. Awesome! Well, I love that perspective, and I'm glad you had that unique opportunity with uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Wrapping up, Henry, what is next for you? Do you do you have projects that you're allowed to talk about that are in the I works? do no, I do. Yes, there's projects coming up with the the Russo brothers that I must remain silent about. But I will not I will not be able to rest for too long. Let's put it that way. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh well, much to look forward to, I, I imagine. How can listeners follow your work, you on social media or other ways in which they can? No. Uh, go ahead. No, funnily, no, no, I'm not actually on social media. I feel 
I feel like if I was a fully 21st century person, I might be, but that I don't, I can't find enough hours in the day, you know? And I feel like that's fair. If I feel like once I'm engaged in a project, I owe all of my whatever remaining synapses and abilities. <laughs> I need to put all the power into the front beam and, you know, get the music written and just honestly don't really have time um, to do social media. That's not me being disparaging. It's a great form of communication, but I'm, I think I'm best placed trying to get the music nailed. Um, so, uh, well, all the usual, you know, all the soundtracks appear in all the places you'd expect, Spotify and Apple Music. and. Um, but if you're expecting a, a, a sort of a daily update of my doings, firstly, no doubt it would be found rather tedious and unentertaining. <laughs> and secondly, I just haven't got time to do it. So um, I think probably my it, music might be a bit more interesting than I am. So we'll, we'll just <laughs> stick to the music and you might think I'm interesting. I would say yes on, on both counts. So we will see you at the movies. But uh, I, I, for one, love Strange World. I, I certainly hope that, I mean, I'm not saying this to flatter you. I really hope the soundtrack, the score gets um, the attention that it deserves because uh, I, I really think it's a, a brilliant piece of work and uh, really a culmination of some of the different elements that you brought to some of your your prior Disney work. And um, no, congratulations. It's It's a great score. And I really appreciate the opportunity to learn from you today. Well, thank you very much. And there you have it, my conversation with composer Henry Jackman. As I have already recommended, listen to Strange World. Even better yet, see it in the theaters before it leaves, because it is worth seeing on the big screen. It is completely encapsulating and riveting. I really enjoyed the movie, and Henry's score only elevates it further. It's also one of those soundtracks that works quite well independently, um, outside of the movie, I have listened to it several times. I imagine you will too, once you get a taste of what he has uh, created, which is just uh, another fantastic part of the Walt Disney Animation Studios catalog of scores. He, As I mentioned earlier, he is uh, really, in a sense, the Alan Menken of this generation of Disney films when it comes to just scoring so many films. You don't see that... Uh, as much these days. I recall in the early days of Pixar, you would hear uh, almost exclusively Randy Newman, but since we have heard the likes of Thomas Newman, Michael Giacchino, and others. So I think Henry is a fixture for Walt Disney Animation Studios now, and I hope he continues to deliver more work for them. And as uh, kind of intimated, there might be some uh, other really cool projects that he will be contributing to in the coming years. So thank you again, Henry, and thank you for listening. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at BNachman Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney.